0: Hello, welcome to Revive Health's Daily Briefing Live for May 8th, our 30-minute review of the latest, most important news, resources, advice for health system marketers and communicators dealing with COVID-19. I'm your guest host, Jeff Spear. As always, we're joined by Chase Kleckner, Senior Marketing Manager, Revive Health, and our producer. Chase makes everything happen. Hey, Chase, how are you? Hey, Jeff, good to see you. You too. Happy Friday, sir. You as well. I'm glad I'm usually the host on Friday. It's a good day to host. We're also joined today by Josh Schoonover, SVP of marketing here at Revive Health. Josh oversees our digital creative and content teams. He's got more than 15 years of experience working in and around healthcare as a journalist, researcher, consultant, kind of everything. He uses his understanding of the critical issues facing industry to give us insights, messages, stories and experiences brands need to leverage to effectively engage their target audiences. Josh, how are you today?
1: I am well, good to be with you.
0: Good to have you, sir. All right, um, we're gonna talk a lot today um, about patient acquisition after we get through some interesting news and resources. So looking forward to digging in with that, uh, with Josh, in just a few minutes cover a few things. Uh, some of the disclaimers and caveats and resources as we do with every show. My favorite part, we're covering the latest news on COVID-19 and how it relates to marketing communications. Um, we'll give you some resources during the podcast here today. If you're joining us live, please use the Q&A queue at the bottom if you've got questions for Chase, Josh, or I, and we'll get to as many questions as possible near the end of the show. If you want to chat with each other, uh, you can do that through the uh, chat function on the Zoom. Um, but if you have a question for us, please use the QA function. Also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We've got now, I think, probably around 50-ish shows in the archives there and covering a lot of really good topics with some really uh, impressive experts. So um, please take a look and see that on iTunes. And um, also go to thinkrevivehealth.com slash COVID-19 for that content as well as some other things a couple of important notes we're not experts on COVID-19 so this is not a place to come for medical or scientific advice but we are going to share some opinions for marketers and communicators and how you might want to manage through the crisis we know everyone's situation is unique and in the end you have to make decisions that are best for you Uh, we're always here though for you okay let's dive into some things here First, as always, we're gonna start with the Johns Hopkins count um, on the impact of how COVID-19's impacting uh, the country and the world. So as of right now, we've got 3,889,841 people confirmed cases in the United States. That's 1.263 million people. Um, And that's 76,000 confirmed deaths so far. I believe about a week ago, it was in the maybe just hit 60,000 or so. Um, and the cases are, are still going up, obviously. And uh, the impact is just great. I, I saw a chart the other day that looked like if you take New York City out of the mix, um, it's still still going up everywhere. So got a lot uh, that we're dealing with here. Going to um, some news, California yesterday uh, has requested a billion dollars, California hospitals, uh, through the California Hospital Association from the governor for, for for relief. They've estimated they've lost about $10 billion so far in California. So for all for our listeners outside of California, definitely something to pay attention to to see how that association is lobbying um, the state money and what you might want to be doing in your state also bain uh, published some survey data yesterday of frontline workers and 56 percent said hospitals they don't believe are ready to reopen for elective procedures primarily because of a lack of supply of ppe and testing Uh, i think this is really pertinent since many hospitals and health systems right now are reopening elective procedures or have already maybe even as of last week. So taking the temperature of your workforce there and particularly those people who maybe have been on the sidelines for a while are now coming back in, you probably have to go back and, and do a lot of communication that you've been doing for the past eight weeks for the people that have been on staff um, and serving and reminding these people now what, what kind of equipment's there. But the testing, I think, is, is pretty important here. Uh, we know that patients, some of our consumer survey data said patients absolutely are paying attention to see if, if there is test, testing ability, and that would certainly increase their confidence. Um, but NIH, some other news, um, was in the news yesterday saying that the, the amount of testing we're going to need as a nation, so certainly that is to hospitals and health systems as well. Uh, they're ramping up, and it's a daunting task, I believe is a headline. They've got what they describe as kind of a shark tank approach to try to get new testing developed. And right now we're testing across the nation about a million per week. And some experts are saying we need a million per day. Um, that seems like a pretty difficult task. So I'm not sure exactly how that's going to get done. But I think every hospital health system right now, similar to what they were doing with ppe needs to be having the same conversations with testing and, and seeing what they can do there so i'm going to move uh slightly different news uh quickly because it it came up yesterday and and chase and josh and i were talking about it earlier it kind of leads um, related to some of our discussions around that we're going to talk about today around patient acquisition um but that's this I don't know what to actually call it. I guess a video and, and some content and um, a point of view that was put out yesterday or the day before, maybe before. But I saw it yesterday. Um, a video called "Plandemic," and this was, I guess, it's kind of a documentary or a film. Josh, I don't know how would you describe "Plandemic" from a without any bias or anything. What what do you call it?
1: Yeah, it's a pretty well-produced 30-minute documentary, uh, basically an interview or, or a story from um, a doctor and her views on the current situation. But it's, it, like you said, I mean, it's, it's well-produced um, and certainly has been widely distributed.
0: If you, if you haven't seen it or heard about it, it's called Plandemic, and the point of view of this Woman, her name is Dr. Mikovitz. Um, is that the coronavirus is something that was planned by the wealthy elite to um, basically make money off vaccines for the virus? And uh, she also says that the virus um, and people, experts shaping public policy around the virus are trying to silence dissenting voices for sinister reasons. Uh, I bring this up because I saw it in my social feed yesterday and saw two people post about it, one who believed it and, and says that people need to think for themselves, and the other person who's a nurse posted a doctor's response basically trying to debunk some of the things posted in here. Josh, you saw it too, or, or you actually saw part watched it i think at least parts of it and read some about it what's your take on this and why should our our listeners be aware of this
1: so the the take on it just as a kind of broad observation is it was one doctor's view on the way that like you said that this has been rolled out that this wasn't something that has occurred as being told and she has in, in her version of this there's a secret to tell And so, and then she names names of prominent figures that are the voices of this, like Dr. Fauci as an example. Mm So as a a way to try to like gain some credibility around this. Now, if you look at the coverage of this and people commenting on it after is, there's a lot more about her backstory that's not in there. There's a lot of like discredited work that she had done or, and that she's a prominent figure on the whole anti-vaccination movement. So she has been lumped in with, conspiracy theorists and otherwise. Um, and there's a lot to support the fact that the full story isn't told there. And there's a pretty biased point of view in that, mm-hmm. which is kind of, but why that's important here is it's almost beside the point of what the content was as much as what's been done with it. And that is, it It, it indicates a few things. One, um, it pre it comes at a time where I think a lot of people have some fatigue around um, all of the steps that have been going on, the conversation around COVID-19. And and two, it probably confirms a bias that you probably had as well going into this. If you are likely to believe this type of thing, then this confirms your view of why this isn't the right way to manage or handle this, or that the full story isn't told. If you're not, then it's easier to get get away from it. And then the third thing is it just represents something new right? It's Mm -hmm. sensational in the fact that it's a point of view that hadn't been told now right or wrong, Um, but it just kind of speaks to a a, a confluence of factors that have created a flashpoint around this. Now, it's been viewed and shared millions of times, but as an indication of whether this is like a real argument, you can see the social platforms have come up and are removing it from their uh, platforms. So there's a lot of reasons to... um, not buy into any of the credibility of it, but it 's already out there in millions of people 's views, and the way that it was shared indicates that these types of things are something that uh, health system and hospital communicators probably need to understand and know that, like you said earlier, Jeff, um, in a previous conversation, the work of a communicator is never done, and I think this is an example of why
0: yeah you 've got to be relentless, I think as a communicator and I guess I think most of our audience, this this intersection of politics and care and science isn't one that we have to navigate a lot. Sometimes the the politics come in when it comes to financial aspects of healthcare. Of course, we have to do that, um, and certainly vaccines. A lot of health systems have to, of course, push for for vaccination, and you may have to deal with some people who who believe that. That those aren't helpful. But this is, I think, on a whole new level. And the psychology that you just described of the people that may be seeing this and be swayed by it um, is important to understand the, that if you're in a smaller town that has barely been touched by this and you're reading about the devastating impact you're seeing in New York City, but that's not your world. And maybe you already feel like, hey, that, that may not be true um or sure maybe in new york you need to shelter at home and social distance wear a mask i could believe that but i don't need to do that here i can open up my businesses here um i i saw something yesterday somebody posted a a headline from mayo clinic no no excuse me upmc chief medical officer said we don't need to be show there is a there is a cost to sheltering at home and social isolation right now so we can start reopening. That was the headline of a respectable, normal daily paper. I can't remember what it was. So I looked at the article and this was somebody in California posting this. I looked at the article and of course the quote is here we can because we have testing and supplies, but the person who posted it was in California and just put it out there. There's expert says you can reopen. This is tricky stuff.
1: The other thing that I think this indicates is, if history is any indicator, more stuff like this will come out, right? A lot more dissenting views, like this just might open the door to more of that, especially if they feel like that voice is being silenced by coming off of social platforms and people Mm -hmm. doing that. So I would expect for markets big and small to see more of this coming off which just gets to the point of the need for truthful transparent communication frequently and regularly um, and fulfilling that role that we know through research um, consumers want to hear from us
0: good point so that that's it audience take a look and see it's important to pay attention to see how this might be picking up hold in your local markets go back um maybe some of those public service announcements you talked about before and already rolled out but now are thinking about other things around safety you may need to bring some of that back out um we might talk more about this in the coming coming days of future episodes let's move um on to some things around patient acquisition josh uh i think all of our audience now is already thinking about this most of them have plans in place but um there's some fundamentals here that we should probably go over again so what are you thinking and what's your, your thoughts on what people should be planning for right now?
1: Yeah, so when we, when we think about patient acquisition, just kind of like laddering up to like a, a bigger picture is there's a few things um, that influence how we might wanna think about that, right? So one is um, it's top of mind for health systems as they think about, you know, we've talked about patient retention before. Mm-hmm. And so that's shoring up those people that had scheduled procedures and making sure we don't lose them um, for reasons uh, either due to fear or competition, whatever that may be. Um, but as we start to think about patient retention, first, those that have some type of relationship with us or have in the past, and then thinking about those that haven't engaged with our system, um, there's a few things that factoring into our minds. One is, you know, it has been incredibly hard in the past to get people's attention outside of a very specific care need which makes patient acquisition a different kind of a game. You can't just right. be there for like, like direct response all the time. There has to be a bigger, kind of more compelling story to tell. Um, but now that's shifting a bit, right? So a lot of people are thinking about health far more often than ever, wondering what is happening. If they feel a tickle or they hear someone cough mm-hmm. or near them, like the automatic reaction is, is this something? Or if they have some uh, other condition and they start to feel like a symptom worsen, does that mean something else? So the the urgency or intensity of how people are thinking about it is shifting. On top of that, who people want to hear from are their local healthcare experts. So not only are they more engaged in thinking about their but they are, they're much more trusting and have a greater affinity for the local healthcare experts. So we have a far more captive audience than we have in the past. If we think about how do we engage consumers and how do we get some of their attention? Um, Now we have to pay that off and many are, and we just have to continue to do that. Um, The other part, you know, two things is there's just the potential rebooting of the market. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's very rare. And we've talked about this kind of ad nauseum on on these broadcasts, but the idea of like, can you imagine anything else? Like, let's just reset the deck and then open up again and see what happens. There's the idea of making a lot of shifts in there. And what we know is, at least in terms of our research, six out of 10 people said they'd be willing to switch providers and where they receive care, even if they already had a scheduled procedure before, Mm -hmm. you know, this pause went on. So that just tells you there is movement in there. if we're we're meeting the needs of people um, in terms of how we're communicating and how frequently we are. And then the other is, as we think about doing with all that as kind of pretext is now it's how we do it, right? We can't just do this blitz around patient acquisition where every service line is equal and we're we're just gonna go gunning. The idea is like a lot of health systems are responsibly reopening, which means they're rolling out new services, not all, and not all within a particular service line. So thinking about your patient acquisition strategy, specifically in line with one, the business priorities of the organization, two, the clinical need in the community, and then three, making sure that the operational readiness is there to support it. So that's just at a high level of just some thoughts to inform patient acquisition.
0: There's so much there. It's, it's so much opportunity, some complexity, some things you can't do on your own, all the coordination that's necessary. Um, We're going to talk about the three levers that we see, direct response, physician referrals, and demand gen. I think direct response, something you said, just there's this really interesting intersection between consumer need, your operational excellence, what you want to push, and as a marketer where you're focusing. So for example, I'm suffering from major seasonal allergies right now. It's, it's hitting hard. But in the back of my mind, I'm wondering, these are similar symptoms to COVID. Yeah. So if, if I wanted to ask my doctor right now, hey, I need help, I would expect if you're, if you're the health system, you need to be doing both screening for COVID and allergies at the same time. But if you're a marketer, so this is direct response, you may not even be thinking about allergies. You may be thinking about orthopedic because that's the service line that you might be really ready to open and is a financial priority. So talk talk about the levers, Josh. Let's talk with direct response.
1: Yeah, so just as a recap, you mentioned that when we think about patient acquisition, there's really three key levers. And, and in the time of COVID, they go in this order, the direct response piece. Mm -hmm. the physician referral piece, and then the demand generation. So on the direct response, that is basically the functional side of making sure we are there, present, available in the conversations when consumers are looking to service a healthcare need, right? So we think about always on search, We think about the website content that we have to have, and I'd love to talk a little bit about both of those things in a second. Um, Making sure if you have a call center that that's up and running, or if you don't, that there's a similar format or script and set of understanding that everyone is operating off of at distributed centers. Um, You have your online reputation management, and we think of all the things around Google My Business that need to be aligned up, that Mm -hmm. one, Mm -hmm. making sure times and locations that are open, um, that that is clear, the phone numbers are clear. Um, that your services, like right now, Google is promoting like uh, telehealth visits. And so if you have online and virtual visits, that's something you can update your Google My Business profile with and allows people to directly connect. If you're, if, if you're not saying it there, they can easily look elsewhere. Um, and then obviously find the physician tools. Those are just some of the things that we need to have that are like just the technical and functional blocking and tackling that meets the need that consumers are having when they're searching for information.
0: And then blocking and tackling sometimes can get lost uh, because marketers are inundated with so many things to do. So now I think this is a very important time to get some of that foundation in place. Always on in search and website content to me are, are two of the most important things. What do you think they should be thinking about there?
1: Well, let's look at you know the, the pandemic thing as kind of let's pull that into this a little bit. And the idea around like, so for search, um, if we just look at like Google is not trusting their algorithms when it comes to COVID-19 information, they're doing much mm-hmm. more qualitative and in-person analysis. And so it just makes, it, it increases the importance of rich, clear, in-depth content to serve your search function, right? To be able to mm-hmm. be found because people are looking at it, not just, I mean, you're, go, you're gonna have your SEM, turned on and you're going to need to think about where are you applying the dollars for what conditions or what services and those are like the quick hits right those are the things that you can put on there but it doesn't take away from in a time like this where information and facts are critical that we are able to address that from a system perspective I'll, i'll just take it a step further one of the things that we've seen is there you know, on websites for many health systems, they have COVID-19 information. They usually have a banner at the top of their uh, sites. You can go to a link and it kind of houses all of this COVID information. Um, But what is not being done is pulling in that public health or that safety or sanitation, sanitation message into like the service lines. So when people are going to look for Condition-specific or service Mm -hmm. line-specific information, you might not ever even know there's a an impact on COVID for that. They're just housed in separate parts of your website, and so the idea is that we're going to need to pull through, you know, that information directly into service line pages, because someone with a heart condition, or someone with diabetes, or someone with a pulmonary disorder, like. That's often where they go, look, they're not going to know to do it. So we have to find a way to connect those things. And when we can do that, right, and we think about symptoms and we think about um, treatment, all of that stuff builds the cachet of credibility around to help amplify our search function right. or our search uh, opportunities.
0: And it's right. If, if we go back to my example, allergists, I want to know if an allergist is open for business. How am I going to find that out, if, especially if I don't have an allergist? You have yeah. to go to the website. You're going to look and it's got to be easy so if you go to the the actual allergy or immunology page of a health system or a doctor's office that would be simple right yeah. or on google as you said is it say office open or office closed or virtual care yeah. okay so that that's part 1 part 2 is physician referrals
1: yeah there i mean this is one of the most powerful ways that you can increase uh, patient volume and and patient acquisition. And this is just making like what kind of engagement and what kind of value and what kind of support are you offering to your physician network, right? If you are relying on referrals in and outside of your system to bring in the work or, or to bring patients into your door, like. What are you doing to support that? Like, What does your outreach program look like? Um, do you have a really understanding of like the referral mapping through some analysis and, where, and where, where the certain types of patients are coming from and where to pay attention to? Um, certainly you have to have really tight and reliable communications even to the point where you might want to be thinking about what does your referral process look like for the greatest amount of ease and then you also have the things that you need to be communicating from an education standpoint as well as the safety message the we're open message the we're there to support message that we have protocols in place message so that the referring physicians know that they're sending someone to you know a safe place to do that and then there's you know one-on-one engagement as well
0: I think um, right now is an interesting time for physician referral because just as maybe the, the cards being reshuffled a little bit for consumers, the same might happen with physicians. Um, for one, what we've heard is the physicians who who sometimes aren't the easiest to work with for marketers, they're, they're busy, they've got their own point of view, and it may be difficult to get them on board with certain things and understanding, hey, we need your participation in marketing too. Now I'm hearing physicians who've been sitting on the sidelines are a little more willing and and ready to do something to help. So how can you use those physicians? Have them make personal calls, have them be involved in communicating to other physicians about, hey, this is the plan, we're open, talking about their PPE and supply chain and how they're doing things, reassuring them. That might be one way. Another way is simply to make sure that all of their referring physicians and and physicians in your network, both owned or partnered, I should say employed, um, that you're, you're continually updating on what's opening and when and and making sure you've got open communication with them. I think a lot of physicians right now are seeing how health systems are emerging out of this crisis and who's done it well and maybe who hasn't. And of course, um, they might be open to switching a little bit if you've got a switcher in your in your area. Um, Or they may get flooded with patients and need to know who they can refer patients to that are, that are available beyond their normal referral pattern. So make sure that you're communicating with them in real time. Okay. Demand, Jen.
1: So this is, you know, outside of an acute need, like how are we, you know, thinking about reputation? How are we thinking about awareness? How are we thinking about action? And so these are all of the other things, right? These are the personalized marketing campaigns. This is um, the promotional campaigns that you might have at the service line level. This is content marketing and where you see all that. of like, how are we making sure that we are top of mind for when people do have a need? Um, And how are we making sure that we're getting out in front of people the right way? This one, I guess the one thing that probably is a little bit different with this one now in the time of COVID than before is, you know, this is when we think about service line marketing and across many systems is there's usually different campaigns operating for different service lines within an organization. Ideally, that speak to the overall brand work that's being done out there, Mm -hmm. but they're, they're operating pretty separately. In this time to make use of time and efficiency and dollars and um, economies of scale is we're advocating for people to think about their service line campaigns being like unified where there is right. one overarching creative concept for them that there's All and then we're pushing that at the same time, rather than operating separately. So um, that's a little bit different of a perspective right now than what we've been used to seeing and, and, and working with in the past.
0: I totally agree with that. And there, there's a second part of this that Chris has talked about and, and some of our other experts that we think a demand gen is nurturing oftentimes and it's kind of a long-term game. And and we would not recommend any health system right now put a lot of emphasis on the long-term game, given what what's at stake right now. I will say put it on your calendar for – july august or if your internal team doesn't have the resources your agency partner to help you because you can't keep that content marketing and that nurturing switch off for too long because if we think about we're coming to the end of the year deductibles people are going to be ready for procedures yet we don't know what that window is for your health system and what's going to happen with covid when the research but you definitely want to to still have that that pipeline in place um, and ability to draw those people in who will need and be ready to have those services. Maybe some of their um, their needs are gonna change. And just like normal, we see a lot of procedures usually October through the end of the year. So while I wouldn't prioritize it, I would have a plan for when you're going to build it back up. Um, okay, we're, we're, we're nearly at time, but I think Josh, we talk a lot about top of the funnel and the funnel um, yeah. can't get in through the side as one of our uh, good colleagues has said before. Um, what do you think about that right now?
1: So yeah, I think this is a, a good quick point to close this out on where when we think of patient acquisition to Jeff's point, we've, also th- we've always usually think about the top of the funnel, right? There's your, um, your retail, your emergency care, urgent care, telehealth visits, some of those initial things that allow people to engage with our system. And then once they're there, we pull them through the funnel should they need, you know, more specific specialty or surgical care. So it's, it's really hard to pull people into the side of the funnel because once they have a relationship with the system, they're more inclined to stay with it. That's a little different here for two reasons. One is, um, we're advocating that you go toward the bottom of the funnel, right? So we might not have right. a ton of time to develop that long-term relationship by pulling them in for primary care needs when we know that surgical volumes and, and specialty care um, has been on pause for, for quite a while. And we, we want to ramp those things back up. The other part is where we talked about people don't switch funnels very often. Well, we have data that we mentioned earlier that suggests that they would like if, if people had already had scheduled procedures at another system or with another provider pre-COVID, and 60% of them are willing to switch, well, then that tells you it might not be so, it's not unheard of to be able to pull people provided that you have the expertise, the resources, that you have the reputation, Mm -hmm. you've managed all of these things well. So it gives us the reason to look at the bottom of the funnel, both from a business standpoint and two, tracking consumer sentiment and how they're making decisions. It gives us a different opportunity to look at that.
0: Yeah, different opportunities. So reverse engineer that physician referral from specialist to primary care, make sure you've got something in place when someone has a virtual care visit, or has an inquiry, how are you following up with them, um, and connecting them so that's not their only visit. Just two things. Obviously, we could talk for a long time about that. Uh, We are at time. I I do want to uh, thank Josh for being here today. Always good. And next time, maybe we can talk about Pearl Jam.
1: Yeah i It'd
0: be great if, if we have any Pearl Jam listeners out there. A new album is really good. <laughs> take some time. Got to give it more than three listens, but then it grows on you, as always. Uh, Chase, thank you for everything, sir. Good to see you, and Absolutely. happy weekend. Hey, have a great weekend. Okay. Right. Care, uh, thank. Right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, please remember to visit slash covid 19 for. Uh, all the episodes we have and all the great content here related to the crisis. And you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And please spread the word to your colleagues and, and friends. Uh, to all of you out there, hanging there. You're doing great work. Important as always. And uh, as we talked about today, when there's really counter information like pandemic out there, your job is extremely important. Um, consumers can be very confused. Understandably, this is really difficult times, a lot of emotional things at play. So be out there, be strong, um, be smart. And uh, we'll get this through crisis together. So we'll be back on Monday. Chris will be here and every weekday till this passes. Talk to you then, everybody.